What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan, and this is Desmond, and welcome to episode 186 of Two Black Nerds. Nerd. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Tith collections inspired by Star Wars. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing Disney's live-action reimagining of the 1989 classic, The Little Mermaid. We'll also be discussing the newest entry into the Transformers franchise, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Plus, we'll share our thoughts on one of the year's most critically acclaimed films, Past Lives. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the 10th installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, Fast X. I know that this road has been very hard. And yet here you are, building this magnificent family. What's going on in that head of yours? Something little piece of it. Is it dead? They're not afraid of anything. But I am. I'm afraid of losing someone I love. Dominic Toretto. You're about to learn all about fear. Boom! You built such a beautiful life, filled with love and family. I never got that chance. You stole that from me. My future. My family. And now, I'm gonna break yours. He's coming for you with everything. What's the plan, Dom? I'm not sure anymore. One of us might not come back from this. But we have to fight. Never accept death when suffering is owed. All the dangerous. Ain't too many good bang with us. Label us, no us. It's a setup. He's trying to tear us apart. Our situation is fight one. What you gonna do? Fight or run? Winning used to be about winning. We raced for respect. Today, I raced to stop the bloodbath. That's the problem with having such a big family. How do you choose the ones you save? 
Let's race! Still know how to drive? What do you think? It's showtime. Here we go! Game recognizes game. Now, this movie is directed by Louis Leterrier, and it's written by Dan Mazow and Justin Lin, and it's starring an ensemble cast of Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, John Cena, Natalie Emanuel, Jordana Brewster, Sung Kang, Scott Eastwood, Daniela Melchor, Alan Richton, Helen Mirren, Brie Larson, Rita Moreno, Jason Statham, <laughs> Jason Momoa, and Charlize Theron. That is a lot of people a part of this movie, y'all. But the Fast and the Furious franchise, an incredibly ex- successful franchise. It's the highest grossing franchise for Universal Pictures. And this is now the 10th installment, which is kind of hard to fathom. It's kind of hard to believe. But a few years ago, we actually reviewed F9 on this podcast after they had been sort of off for a few years just due to some setbacks with scheduling due to the COVID lockdown. That movie had gotten pushed back quite a bit. And there was also, between The Fate of the Furious and F9, the release of the spinoff film Hobbs and Shaw. And so they wanted to spread out these releases. F9 is a movie that we saw and uh, didn't really care for, I would say, to put it mildly. But we know that coming into Fast X, this is starting to wind down the franchise. This is apparently supposed to be the first chapter to conclude the saga of the Fast and Furious films. Now, some things have come out and developed since then that might throw a wrench in those plans and maybe extend this out a little bit longer. But I think coming into this, we were certainly curious to see how are they going to wrap up this saga of films over the course that's taken place over the course of the past 20 some odd years. Also, Justin Lin, who's been well established with the franchise and has directed like four or five installments, probably the most well-known associated director with Fast and Furious movies, had been brought on to sort of close out this saga, but in the first month of production, actually left. He left production, Mm. apparently due to some creative differences and disagreements with the star Vin Diesel, also a producer on these movies. And then they brought in Louis Leterrier, who is a veteran action filmmaker, has made films like The Incredible Hulk. He's also worked with Jason Statham before on the Transporter films. So definitely a seasoned hand to come on and sort of steer this shit over the finish line. And so with all of that context and sort of background information out the way, I do want to pass it to you to get your opening thoughts and sort of immediate reaction to everything that we saw of fast x a few weeks ago man first and foremost i can't believe we're here at fast x we 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 have gotten so far into this movie franchise that the we are using the roman numeral (laughs) of 10 like it is actually the craziest thing ever to me but what i will say about this movie man it's better than fast nine again we left the theater fast nine we were like yeah i don't know about that one at least 
this one i think i think understands where it's going a little bit better in terms of the silliness we have entered into this franchise i think it gets it a little bit better than fast nine got it and i think they leaned into that a little bit and i think for that it did it did earn a couple more points for me in that direction man not only that but i think also expecting ridiculousness of action going into these movies is just it just is what it is now so you're like okay what is the thing that they are going to do in these movies and i think you know a lot of it is fine some of the action is fine you know um but that has been kind of the most ridiculous part of, of these movies recently is the action there is Again, this is in the trailer, but there's like a giant ball running through a city <laughs> that could blow up at any moment. And there is Vin Diesel crashing helicopters. Again, this is in the trailer <laughs> with his car. Like it's the it's just the craziest things that you see in this film. And I think it's it's so weird, though, because often I think that's what takes away from the movie sometimes is too much going on. Um, and, and that seems to be the case with this movie as well, though it's kind of expected. Uh, what I what I do like about this film, I like the moments we have with with um, our, our characters kind of get split up in this movie. Small spoiler alert, I guess our characters kind of get split up in this movie, and there are uh, 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 characters that I think we like to see together, and they spend have to or forced to spend time together, and I like that part of the movie. There's another part of the movie. That's just Vin Diesel being Vin Diesel. He was, he's just being Dominic Toretto throughout the entire film. And that part of the movie is just okay to me uh, because it includes the more, the more corny parts of the film. And I think the corniness is what takes me away. It's not actually the ridiculousness as much as the corniness. <laughs> That's like, oh my God, I've I, I rolled my eyes like 10 times. <laughs> throughout the movie because they kept giving us these corny lines and the first time you're like okay that's funny we get it but then by the fifth or sixth time you're like all right now like we understand you don't have to keep doing this we we they keep nailing it and you don't have to keep nailing it and i think that can be a little bit frustrating of uh when you're watching um that corniness jason momoa is having a blast in this movie I absolutely love what he's doing here um we don't get to see him i think in a, these positions too often where he just gets to play like this villain who's super eccentric super flamboyant super you know what I mean? he's just having fun in the role and i think a lot of the villains in these past fast movies haven't felt like this they haven't felt dynamic enough for me to go oh this is fun and jason momoa made the movie fun for me in a lot of different moments and he because he was having so much fun i was having fun and so i i i I, I like that a lot, actually, about the movie. I was like, okay, I like these Jason Momoa moments, but again, the corniness of Vin Diesel being in the same, <laughs> being in the same frames with him, were kind of taken away from it. I was like, this could be so much better if we weren't getting these corny moments. So, um, yeah, that's that on that. But overall, man, too much going on in the movie, unfortunately. Uh, again, the action's fun. I think uh, Jason Momoa was fun, and it's better than Fast Nine. That's really what I can give it right now. I, I think there are some big ideas here with what they're doing. I actually kind of like that it's a part one, only because I feel like there were, if you're going to do it, just do it. And I feel like they're just doing it. They're like, yeah, we're going, we're going balls to the wall here. So it's crazy that more movies are coming out. I absolutely agree with that. But also, it's like we're here in it for the long run. So they're going to do what they want. They want to do anyway, because <laughs> people are going to keep going to see these movies. So it's fine. Um, and we'll see what happens in these future iterations. 
Coming into Fast X, again, the expectations for me personally were, were quite low just because F9 was damn near an abomination. I thought it was just not a great movie at all. I had finally felt like they jumped the shark, which is crazy to say because they really, if we're being honest, jumped the shark a lot earlier than F9. They were already doing some incredibly crazy stuff. But at least by the time we got to The Fate of the Furious, like we still had Dwayne Johnson a part of these movies. So you still had some balance between mm-hmm. all of the stuff that they would pour into Vin Diesel, excuse me, and making him really the central focal point. And, and you still got a little bit of that other energy from The Rock to balance it out. So if you did get some of those corny moments, as you mentioned, you might actually have some genuinely funny moments or some kick-ass moments from some mm-hmm. other stars like The Rock or Jason Statham. And I think the Fast movies have worked as long as they have up until this point is because of the the ensemble nature and because like Vin was never just like the true focal point. It was never ultimately just about him. He was Mm -hmm. certainly a central figurehead, but you had Paul Walker, you had Michelle Rodriguez, you had these other really important story elements that could just spread out all the sort of storytelling narrative across the film. But now getting into F9 and, and, and subsequently with Fast X, this has basically just become a Vin Diesel vehicle, uh, for lack of a better term, no pun intended. And some of it's always been designed to be that. But again, at the same time, he's become a producer behind these movies. He's incredibly powerful behind the scenes, of course. He's one of the most influential social media stars that we have and one of the most recognizable movie stars. And you can just tell he's cashing in and he's using all of his cachet to make this really a Dominic Toretto driven saga. And I think that's been the downfall of these movies where it's become him uh, of being such the focal point of the series. And it started with The Fate of the Furious, I think, in, in, in large part where you start to open up these ideas about him having children out there and other relatives and all this just random stuff. It's like, this feels like a soap opera and and none of that goes away for Fast X. This continues to be a huge live action, big budgeted soap opera with cars and espionage and spies and just all these random fixings that just make it this over the top blockbuster experience. And I know for a lot of people, that has been certainly an enjoyable element to these films. I think the prime the prime era of the Fast movies was between Fast 5 and Furious 7. Like, I think that those were the absolute best years. In fact, Fast 5 and Furious 7 are my two favorites. After that, into this most recent era, we are just getting into the incredibly corny, the incredibly unrealistic, the over-the-top nature, and just leaning all the way into that. And I think that the Fast and Furious movies were a lot more fun when the producers, the filmmakers, and the actors weren't so in on the joke. Yeah. They they were very much like still taking it somewhat serious, but now that they're totally in on the joke and everybody started talking about them going to space and doing all these weird, just unrealistic things, they're like, oh yeah, let's do that. Why not? Why not go to space? Why not take a, a fucking random car and strap a rocket to it and send it to outer space? And that's what we're doing now. And so Fast X is one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's better than F9. Not an incredibly high bar to, to, to necessarily excel right. at, but it does get some points for, I think, being, relatively speaking to the rest of the franchise, a little bit more grounded. Now, by the end of it, it's not grounded at all. But yep. for a large part of this movie, it did feel a little bit more grounded. There's much more hand-to-hand combat. I did notice the use of practical effects sort of being utilized a lot more than maybe some of the recent iterations. Don't get me wrong, there's still a ton of green screen and computer-generated effects, but I did feel like that we were focusing more 
on the hard-hitting action and some of those more intimate set pieces as opposed to the fantastical stuff. Now, this movie kind of bookends with two really fantastical sequences. You talked about the big atomic cannonball rolling through Italy, which is just like, what the hell is going on? And if you've seen the trailers, there is like a big set piece at the end with a dam that is just like, okay, we're back. We're back doing just like some incredibly crazy, just wild stuff. But in between that, you do get some some more realistic action. And, and, and I think that that stuff for me worked, just kind of being able to lock in and focus on that. What didn't really work for me, to just like sum it up, is that there are just too many things happening. There's way too many characters in this franchise now. They are trying to cram four or five different movies into one singular cinematic experience. You have John Cena off on an adventure. You have Brie Larson showing up here. You have Jason Momoa doing his weird flamboyant joker captain jack sparrow routine you also have the dominic terrero aspects of it and and it's just it becomes a lot it becomes a lot to keep up with all of these different characters that are globe trotting and, and and trying to find their way back to each other and i get the sense of wanting to maybe split up the real estate so that more people can get screen time and make it a little bit more effective for their characters but it becomes just so many different things where it's like well how are we going to ultimately resolve this how are we going to make sure that organically everybody can come back to the to the same place at the same time and i think by design that's a part of the the nature of this being a two-parter or three-parter or whatever they're trying to do but i think it just becomes it becomes overwhelming it becomes too much i there, there's really no reason for brie larson to be in this movie she's kind of just swapping out what we used to see from kurt russell but she's just kind mm-hmm. of here charlie's theron is still like huge actor that's a part of this franchise that's relegated somewhat to the background but still has some importance i think it's just juggling too many things and and, and maybe if they stripped it down it could a little bit be a little bit more focused but ultimately if you like these movies if you're a fan of the fast and furious franchise and if you've watched them all up until this point it's like well damn it we're just kind of here to j- just just see where they ultimately take it and see where it ends and uh it might be a long crawl to the finish line just based on the plans that they've uh that they've communicated to us but um I, I do think that the end of this is kind of egregious. The fact that they are mm-hmm. just so cynical about the nature of this this franchise, and they leave it where they leave it off to to just make us want to come back and 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 I guess get the emotional payoff for these characters, which is like, are we really trying to make this seem like this really emotionally resounding story about these? I, it just it just felt really weird to me to end it off where they ended it off at, but. Mm-hmm. so be it at this point. That's kind of the nature of these franchises, these big IP. What I do just want to talk about quickly and. This movie's been out for a few weeks now, so I will sort of caution people if you haven't seen Fast X. This is sort of a spoiler warning, but this information has also been out on the internet for for a while now. We we actually got confirmation before the release of Fast X that Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, had indeed returned to the franchise. Now, we've known for like the past five, maybe even six years that Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel have been at odds with each other. They have not been on the same page. They have had a public sort of battling um, and and sort of different ideologies about how to approach their work. And so the last Fast and Furious movie that Dwayne Johnson was in with the rest of the cast was The Fate of the Furious back in 2017. He did the spinoff with Hobbs and Shaw, but he's been vehemently saying that he's not coming back. And and, and the, the, the antics, I guess, on the part of Vin Diesel to try to get him back have not been things that he's uh, that he's necessarily been fond of. He even called it public manipulation at one point when he called Vin Diesel out on Instagram. So they've been back and forth about this whole thing. But now, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is back. He's in the post-credit scene for this movie, and they absolutely tease and tee up his return in the next Fast and Furious movie. And we also got information and confirmation from him himself that 
he's going to be creating a spinoff movie entitled Hobbs, and that's going to come out in between Fast X Part 1 and Fast X Part 2, apparently, to set up the events of that next movie. So what I just want to ask you is, one, does that excite you, and how do you feel about it? And two, what, what are your overall thoughts just about the public sort of scrutiny that these two have been a part of and the fact that, like, I guess Dwayne Johnson has had a changing of philosophies and has decided to come back to the Fast and Furious franchise? Man, I can't, I really can't believe that, you know, we are, we are here. Um, and The Rock actually was like, yeah, I guess I'll come back. Um, I guess the, 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 the apology worked, <laughs> whatever, you know, what's going on. And he was like, ah, I guess I come. Not only that, it's just interesting that The Rock was also like failing in other things, you know what I'm saying? And, and it was like, oh, I guess, you know, I have an opportunity now, you know, between Black Adam, between Moana, you know what I'm saying? He was, there was other things not going so well for him. So I think eventually he was also like, okay, I guess I, th- this is something else of substance that I can tie myself to, to come back. Um, and I, and I think that makes sense for him, you know, uh, but it, it is interesting though to, to, um, for him to want to come back and to, for him to be part of this franchise that has, as you said, kind of, it, we're off the hinges now, you know, and that that grounded nature isn't here. And so I'm curious if not he's the answer, you know what I mean? But if he can help bring some of that stuff back, because The Rock does have star power. He does. He has a, a certain amount of star power that really nobody else in the in that fast franchise has. You know what I mean? I think people are on their way. I think Jason Momoa is on his way. Vin Diesel, of course, have some star power, you know what I mean? But The Rock is The Rock. And so I'm 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 curious to what what it looks like um, in the future, what uh, uh, these movies are gonna look like for him, because I think I think some of the stuff they'll involve him in will be closer to some uh, some more grounded action. The Rock is not about to drive a car down a dam, you know what I'm saying? Like he's not gonna do that. Um, but I, I I think he is gonna be part of uh, uh, some of those cooler spec oppy copy things that I, I think are cool like even uh even in this film there's a really cool sequence with charlie staring um at close to the beginning of the film that i actually like i was like huh this is some pretty good action actually um with, with, with charlie staring and some some things going on i was like okay now and in my mind i'm imagining that with the rock and it's like huh all right i could i could see this potentially being a thing if they decided to go that way but now is it even still fast are we still talking about the Fast franchise? Where are cars involved in any of this at all now when you include The Rock? And so, I don't know, man. It's, it's a hard, I think, line um, to toe. It's a, it's a hard thing to teeter. But he's back, and it is what it is. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's like a we'll see, we'll see when we get there what it looks like. Because, again, he's, he's so different, and he makes this, the movie so different. Fast Five, and you watch it, The Rock has a presence in that movie. You know what I mean? It's like a whole thing in fast five with the rock and so i don't i don't know how we're missing that for x amount of time and we can bring that presence completely back in even in this movie we do have jason statham and he doesn't have the presence that i feel like he used to have in this movie you know it was like okay it's cool to see him and i love that he's here but he doesn't have like the shawls in this hole you know what i'm Not saying like he didn't have that and and i'm afraid I'm afraid we won't have that same thing with the rock either, but we'll have to, again, we'll just have to see when we get there. So it's, it's, I'm okay with it. Part of it's cause I'm a rock fan <laughs> and I will always want to see the rock do whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I am worried about what it, what it will look like for him. It, it, it's one of those weird things because over the past about a year and a half, I would say the the rock has 
been wobbling, I think. It, it hasn't been outright failures across the board for him, but he, he's been on a bit of a, of a wobble with some things that have not been so successful. We have talked a lot about Black Adam and just the underperformance of that movie and also just sort of the, the tepid reaction to that film. Outside of that also, we can't forget that the XFL, which he is a part owner of, has lost a lot of money. It's not been been the most successful business venture i think that you know they might might have set out to to, to to necessarily make it to be of course something like that is going to take years to really drive forward and, and, and get off the ground but i don't know i don't know what his interest level is in terms of a long-term investment and then you just start to look in and, and assess his other projects and like what's coming down the pipeline and i think the rock probably just took a look at his schedule and said like oh this is kind of looking a little light you know where where are those red notice sequels that are supposed to come out which uh I'm not looking for that stuff because Red Notice was was awful, but he's also not talking about the Jumanji franchise, like if they're going to do another one or, you know, some other projects. I'm just kind of curious as to what his overall sort of next year looks like. And he probably was just starting to assess the same thing and said, like, this might be the time to go ahead and pull the trigger and to come back to the, the franchise that really made me become like an, a megastar in Hollywood. And I think that uh, it's a smart business move. I don't blame anybody for that at all. And ultimately, I do think that this will result in perhaps a better film-going experience and a, and a fan experience for this franchise because you want to see him be a part of these films. But at the same time as well, I remember being in Florida like a few days after and I went to Universal and they have like the big marquee, the poster, the character posters of this franchise with all the characters. And I was just sitting there looking at it and I'm like, Jesus Christmas, that's a lot of people a part of this franchise. Like you have Charlize Theron, you have Michelle Rodriguez, you have Vin Diesel, so on and so forth. And now you've added Jason Momoa and just all these people. Mm -hmm. And then you add The Rock on top of that. And then also some other stars who look like they're going to be returning for these next few installments. It's just like, where where is there room going to be for, for any of these people? Like we're going to have to start playing around with the idea of a three-hour movie, which please no, I don't want a three-hour Fast and Furious <laughs> movie. Like I, I, I'm good on that. Like yeah. let's keep it... 210 215 max mm -hmm. really um but i just wonder about the real estate and, and maybe maybe this hop spinoff can help with that to start to to bridge that gap between this one and the next one but of course the rock is going to get his own solo spinoff of course he's going to negotiate right. that in terms of his return he's always going to make sure that he's looking out for for number one again don't blame him at all for that but this idea that the fast and furious franchise is ending anytime soon go ahead and throw that out the window it's not because you have that movie, you have another Fast X part two, I guess. And also Vin Diesel was playing around and toying around with the idea that they're going to make it a three-parter. Now, yes. I don't know I don't know if that includes the Rock movie or not. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe that was, like, the the idea or if that's, like, still a separate concept. But we're, we're talking about at least another six to seven years of these movies. Like, it, it's going to be around, y'all. So buckle up, uh, for, for lack of a better term, and, and get ready. <laughs> like, they're not going anywhere, but... With all of that being said, folks, those are our thoughts on Fast X. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and move on and talk about another movie that released a couple of weeks ago. The live-action reimagining of the 1989 animated classic, The Little Mermaid. Oh, Abandoned ship! Over there! Over here! 
rules. He went to the above world. A man was drowning. I had to save him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Ariel, don't! Poor child. I can help you. You can't live in that world unless you become a human yourself. Is that even possible? <laughs> it's what I live for. <laughs> Something about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. You're a mermaid. That doesn't make us enemies. Now, this movie is directed by Rob Marshall, and it's written by David McGee, and it's starring Halle Bailey, Jonah Howard King, David Diggs, Aquafina, Jacob Tremblay, Noma Dumizweni, Art Malik, Javier Bardem, and Melissa McCarthy. So Disney has been producing live action remakes slash reimaginings of many of their animated classics for a long time now. Mm. Uh, it really became a notable trend in the 2010s when they started with Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. They had produced a couple before that, like you had the 101 Dalmatians film with Glenn Close that came out in the oh. 90s. That was a great movie, but I think that they decided to go ahead and make this a more a more formulaic sort of trend in terms of their blockbuster tempos that they were going to release on a consistent basis. And we've gotten a lot of them. We've gotten The Lion King and Aladdin and a variation of Sleeping Beauty with Maleficent and, yeah. and, and others, you know, that have come out. And they've enjoyed varying degrees of success. Some have been super successful financially, creatively. Some of them have been, I think, fine. And you also have had some notable misfires in there as well and so it's just kind of been all over the place the little mermaid of course is one of their more beloved animated classics it really kick-started the disney renaissance of the 90s which just completely turned around their fortunes and made them once again the juggernaut in animation that they had come to know themselves to be in the 30s 40s and 50s and of course the little mermaid in terms of becoming a live action film you would have to suspect that that was going to be one of their more anticipated projects you add that on top of the fact that Halle Bailey had been casted for this role as Ariel a long time ago. I think maybe about three or four years ago she's been cast in this role. And I think for a number of us, that was an incredibly exciting prospect. We know that she has vocal chops for certain. And she's also been a pretty seasoned actor up until this point and has, has had acting experience. And so many of us were excited, but there was also, you know, maybe some concerns from Another group of people who didn't want to see a black Ariel. That's a whole nother conversation for another day, possibly. But I think uh, in terms of a live action movie, there were there was a lot to look forward to. But with all of that out the way, let's go ahead and talk about this movie and get into our thoughts about it. I will pass it over to you or your big picture thoughts and, and your overall reaction to The Little Mermaid. The Black Mermaid is here, man. What a time to be alive. Uh, I'll never forget, actually. Um, I was watching Grownish when she got casted. Um, and it's funny cause she was, she was in the show, her and Hallie both were in the show pretty frequently. 
and after she got casted, they kind of like wrote her off, or they like made her go somewhere remote. Like she she was like in the Olympics <laughs> or something, and like it's also funny because they would like Facetime her into things in the show, but her hair would be covered, so like you wouldn't know that they were dyeing her hair red. It was a whole thing, and I, I just think that's so interesting seeing that in real time. Um, after she had she got casted but so this is again it's been a long time coming like, i've been watching this unfold for like four years it's kind of crazy um to think about it like that but it's finally arrived it's, it's finally here and man i like it but i wish i liked it more that is like the best tagline i can say for this movie i like it but i wish i liked it more the little mermaid i will say the the source material the original movie was always good to me, but not great to me, right? It never was like Mulan for me. It was never Lion King for me. It was never like that for me. It was always something I liked. Even there, they even came out with a cartoon. He's going to tune Disney, like the Little Mermaid cartoon. I used to watch that too, and that was fine. I liked that stuff. But again, I just never loved it. It was something about it. I don't know. I couldn't put my finger on it, why I didn't love it um, as much. But again, I always really liked it, and I always really liked the music. Under the Sea is a classic, like, Top 10 Disney songs. Like, Undersea is fire. Um, and so I was still looking forward to this. Of course, beyond uh, uh, Hallie, you know, playing playing um, Ariel in this movie, I was still looking forward to it because it is a Disney classic. And so coming into this, I was pretty excited. And, yeah, it, it, it was okay, man. It was – I. It was pretty much a one-to-one depiction of the of the movie for the most part. And I think – I think maybe that took away from the movie a little bit. I think a lot of times if you're going from animated to live action, I would like for you to add something to it. If you're remaking anything, you know, a lot of times I'm like, okay, add something. Not just, don't just make it live action. Add a little razzle dazzle somewhere to show us, okay, this was worth it. And I think, um, you know, some of those other films like Cinderella 2015, live action i like that because it feels like it added something i actually really like cruella because it feels like it added something to me and for here i feel like it adds a little something but not enough for me to go okay i love that they made this live action movie and i do still love that they made it don't get me wrong but it still feels like something's missing um as i'm watching this movie the the this this half cgi animal thing was throwing me off it was it was a worry coming in it was a worry in the trailer and it 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 yeah it, it, it went through um, after seeing the film. I felt the exact same way where what kind of works, Sebastian has like these cartoony eyes. That kind of works a little bit. Flounder does not work at all. He's just a fish. You know what I'm saying? Or like Scuttle is like just a bird and it's Aquafina. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like things I feel like that they, it just doesn't work because it's uncanny valley. Uh, this feels kind of weird when you're looking at it. Again, I think maybe if they had played with making flounder see more making his eyes more vibrant or making him look cooler it, it might have worked because it kind of worked for sebastian a little bit you know what i mean like there was like a half and half with sebastian it's like ah this almost makes sense to me because his his expressions could come through um a little bit better because they made him almost look like half mr Krabs, half real crab it was really it was really crazy um so yeah that took away uh, from me a little bit as well and so long story short everything in the water kind of didn't work for me um a lot of the water stuff didn't work for me and unfortunately that includes under the sea which i was really excited for i thought that was going to be this over the top crazy music number and it ends up just being like fine you know what i mean because 
there are things that you can do in animation that you can't do in live action, and it just works better in animation. There are so many animals, under underwater animals and sea creatures doing things in the animated one. And in this one, it's like, ah, y'all kind of don't do it. You know, there's like the moment um, where there's like people dressed up as turtles <laughs> and like moving. And it just it just wasn't as colorful and as crazy as I, ho- I was hoping it would be. You know what I mean? Versus a movie like Aladdin. Which did feel, with some of those sequences, did feel like, oh, this is crazy. I love that they're doing this. It just doesn't work for the underwater sequences in this movie for me. And that's unfortunate. Because Under the Sea, again, that was the banger I was looking for. And it just fell short for me. What I will give it is the stuff on land mostly worked for me. I actually think um, Halle Bailey's and what's the what's Eric's act- actor's name? I always forget. Um, but Oh, uh, Jonah Howard King. Halle Bailey and uh, Joy Howard King. I actually liked their chemistry. I thought they did pretty well. Again, everything on land pretty much worked for me. Uh, but again, it was a one-for-one one telling for the most part. you know. And But that is the heart of the story. And I think that's why I still like the movie. It's because of everything that was happening on land with those two. I thought it was still fine. They changed very small things with engage, the engagement and things. But overall, man, again, I like it. I just wish I liked it more. And that's really all I can say about it. A lot of it is the underwater stuff. If they had cleaned up a lot of that, I think I would have liked it way more than I did. But it just, it, it, again, it didn't work for me. What, one more thing I'll add. I actually do love the message. It's like a really cool message at the end with mermaids. And I was like, huh, I rock with that. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, Disney. There was like a nod in there that I actually really appreciated that they did. That was like, yes, I like this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it ended on a good note. I, w- I will give them that. It ended on a good note. It made me feel happy, <laughs> a little bit like, uh, like proud <laughs> that they had done something like that. Uh, but other than that, man, it was fine, and I was I was look I was looking for a little bit more, but I'm I'm still glad that Halle Bailey got this opportunity, and that she'll be aerial to a lot of kids, you know, from here on out. I think it's huge. The representation representation is amazing, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to them making I think more swings like this. Though it was a swing for them to cast Halle in the first place, even though it shouldn't be, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they went with it, and they stuck, and I think they stuck that part of 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 the Little Mermaid is the, the casting in general so i will certainly be the first to admit that i am not really a fan of these disney live action remakes that they've been producing there have been a couple of examples that are good i don't think any of them are great i I think that they have produced um honestly some of the most creatively bankrupt uh pieces of a film that disney has has worked on over the past like 15 or so years like they just they just kind of scream just business and box office to me. Like that's really the only reason that I think a lot of them are produced just because of the the easy cash that they know that they're going to make off of them. Again, there are a couple of exceptions. Like I think that they did something really interesting with Maleficent, the first one. I do like Cinderella. Cruella um, took it in a completely different direction and had a lot of style and, and pizzazz that, that was sort of infused into that story. But really outside of that, I, we're, we're just looking at something that is just like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Yeah, exactly. Of course, like a new generation is going to consume these films and, and start to compare them to the animated classics. But also this generation of young kids that are watching these things, they have access to those animated classics on Disney Plus. And a lot of them are still seeing those movies. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people are still watching the animated Little Mermaid or the animated Lion King. Like it's not like they're going to be without those things. And I, I, I don't honestly know how many people are going to go and pick the live action Lion King over the animated version. Like if you only have two hours to spare and you're going to watch one, 
I think 10 out, 10 out of 10 people are going to pick the, the animated Lion King. Like, it just makes sense to me. So coming into this one, I felt similarly that The Little Mermaid has always been good to me, but not necessarily one of my more uh, adored animated classics. It's not been one of my favorites. And so I wasn't all that excited for this movie, just based off of those two those two elements and ideas that the fact that The Little Mermaid has been fine and also these live action movies just have not done it for me. I also recently just saw Peter Pan and Wendy on Disney Plus, which oh my was God. bad. And then I also watched <laughs> Pinocchio with oh Tom God. Hanks that came I'm out so last sorry. year. That is just that is a really, really awful movie. So the streak has just not been there. It's just like I, I don't even know why we're still in this territory anymore. We we know ultimately that the financial gains, but this just hasn't been working for me. And so coming into this one, my expectations were honestly just low. I was looking for Halle Bailey to shine and excel in that particular role, but not really much else. And to be honest, that's pretty much what I got. This movie overall is just mid-level to me. It's, it's, it's the definition of a mid-film. It's not the worst thing that they've done in terms of the live-action remakes, but it's far from the best. I think that when you look at creating a new story or trying to introduce some new elements to this, this is probably the example of going way too far. This movie is two hours and 15 minutes, and it has no reason to be. The first animated movie is like an hour 36. So now we're talking... And mm -hmm. added 40 minutes worth of story to this film. There's really no reason for that. And, and much of it is kind of dedicated to the stuff that happens on land. And in particular with Eric, who they have made the choice to sort of flesh out his background and give him a little bit more in terms of a character, which I guess makes sense. Like you want him to have as much of an emotional investment to the script and to the story that they're telling. But if I'm just being real, I don't give a fuck about Eric. I never did. I don't know many people that do. Like, this is about Ariel at the end of the day. So to expand his story and to really spend some more time with him, I was just sitting there like, do we really, really need this? Or are we just doing this to appease the fact that, oh, yeah, he's a male character. And so we're going to give him a little bit more screen time and a little bit more material to work with. So that stuff just didn't work for me. There, there's no reason this movie needs to be as long as it is. I think, I think it's definitely 30 minutes too long, you know, and I think that they could have shortened a lot of it. Yeah. The sea creatures and the underwater nature of it is just always going to be a challenge. I mean, when you have movies like Avatar, The Way of Water coming out, and you see what's capable with the water and what James Cameron and his team achieved with that, and then you just look at this, it, it, it it's not the same game we're playing at all. It's not the same league. You just look at the stuff here, and it's not terrible in terms of the visual nature of it, but it's also just not the best that it could be. Mm -hmm. You do You do want a little bit more vibrancy, a little bit more life that's injected into that stuff and you're starting to blend the real with the with the animated and the, and the uncanny and it just doesn't work I, I totally agree with the stuff that you said about characters like flounder and sebastian which it's just like i don't i don't really i just i just don't emotionally connect to these characters because they just look like animals and we're trying to we're trying to infuse life into them and it's just like this stuff isn't it's just not coming together in the way that you would want it to and then the last thing that I guess that I'll mention is, on a positive note, Halle Bailey. I think that she's pretty incredible. I think that she does a lot here. Her vocal her vocal expertise can certainly not be denied or doubted. Like, we've known her to be just a tremendous singer, and, and that's certainly present here. I think that her delivery of a lot of those songs in which she has to lead with just such a strong vocal performance, I honestly got chills at a couple moments just hearing her her really sing to the capabilities that we know that she can achieve. And that was that was great stuff. Um, the unfortunate thing, which is similar to the animated movie, is that the character of Ariel has to be silent for most of it. We, we just don't get to hear her. That's just due to the nature of the story. Yeah. And that's due in part to the fact that Melissa McCarthy coming here as Ursula, you know, sort of presents her with a curse that that, 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 that takes away her voice. And Melissa McCarthy as Ursula also had some pretty big shoes to fill. I think for the first half of the movie, 
she's kind of a nothing character, but she really comes to life about midway through when you start to see her manifest and really become the true the true villain that we know Ursula to be. So by the middle of it and towards the end, I actually kind of like what they did with Ursula as well. And I thought that the the visual representation of her was really cool. The CGI on her character, especially when she starts to become really big and bombastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that stuff actually started to look good. really good to me. But yeah. I, I think that this film is just like, it's just another example of why why do we need these movies? Why is it here? Why What, what is it really adding to the I guess to the lore and the mythos of the Little Mermaid to 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 justify its existence, and we're always going to ask that question anytime they go back to the well with these animated classics because those movies still hold up really really well for the most part. There's a few problematic ones, don't get me wrong, but most of them still they still hold up very well and they still can translate to this new generation of audiences. But I think that this one is it's fine, it's okay, but a lot of it just kind of chips away at the fact that these movies just always feel like they have no actual purpose for being in existence because they're not adding enough new material to make them creatively invigorating to the level and to the degree in which I hope they would be. But that might just be asking too much out of a massive corporation like Disney at this point. So uh, with all of that out the way, folks, those are our thoughts on Disney's live action reimagining of The Little Mermaid. If you've checked out this movie in theaters, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said, we're going to transition to talk about another movie that actually just came out this past weekend, another huge summer blockbuster release, the seventh installment in the Transformers franchise, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. For centuries, our kind has stayed hidden on Earth. But darkness has found us again. Prime. This is about the fate of all living things. Unicron is coming. Back up! Oh, I thought we were boys! You want it? Come and get it! You brought a human here? I'm nobody. I ain't even seen nothing. I'm not even seeing anything right now. Thank you, Holden Lake, for you haven't met the aim. Stop! Stop! This is not our war. Optimus, we must trust each other to protect the home we all share. How big can this guy be? Uh, he eats planets. So, like, way bigger than a planet. Everything you cared for will be consumed. Maybe there's another way to save our home. You've never faced anything like this. Let them come. Take the wheel. 
Now, this film is directed by Stephen Capel Jr., and it's written by Joby Harold, Darnell Mateyer, Josh Peters, Eric Hober, and John Hober, and it's starring Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback. So Transformers has been around for a while now in and of itself. It's been around for about 15 years. This is the seventh live-action Transformers film. Again, kind of hard to fathom that we've gotten this far along with this Transformers movie. A few years ago, they actually did a spinoff, a semi-spinoff film with Bumblebee. It was a prequel to the Michael Bay films. And this is technically supposed to be sort of a sequel to that Bumblebee film that came out in 2018. Because this is also another prequel to those Michael Bay films. It takes place in the mid-90s, whereas Bumblebee took place in the late 80s. And again, this is also bringing in a new cast of people. Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback are newcomers to this franchise. But a lot of the notable voice actors that we've associated with some of those Transformers roles are back, such as Peter Cullen coming back once again as Optimus Prime. But they've also added a new host of voice actors like Michelle Yeoh, like Pete Davidson, mm-hmm. like Coleman Domingo, who are sort of coming in as new Transformers. And, and, and the last thing that I'll say in terms of context is also they added a very well-known and a very beloved aspect to the Transformers lore and mythos with the addition of the Maximals and the Predacons, which if you grew up in the 90s and you watched the Beast Wars television series, that was a very seminal TV series for a new generation of Transformers fans. And so they have finally sort of pulled the trigger on adding those characters to this franchise. They sort of teased it and played around with it a few years ago, which Age of the Age of Extinction, I think is what it was called. But now we actually have those characters coming in full force into the franchise. And so we got a chance to check out this movie this past weekend. So with all of that out the way, I will pass it over to you, man. What did you think about Transformers Rise of the Beasts? I really like Transformers, I think. Uh, it's something that's always been part of my childhood. Um, even that first Transformers in 2007, I think, does not get enough credit for what it did. Coming out, like, the year before Iron Man, you know what I mean? was still Paramount. I don't know, man. I had some arguments with that first, that first Transformers to make. But it had been so bad for so long between the last night and Age of Extinction. It was just... A train wreck there for a second for, for for Transformers. They they became just loud and noisy and very Michael Bayish, right? That's what Michael Bay is known for the explosions and the in in a lot of it is exhausting. And I think when Bumblebee came out, uh, it wasn't just as exhausting <laughs> as all those other movies were because they actually decided to focus on something a little more homey, something way more grounded. There's not a ton of fights in Bumblebee. There really isn't. You know what I mean? And so it it, it felt like, okay, this might be a, a, a good direction to go in. And I think Rise of the Beast is also, of course, playing on the nostalgia of the uh, uh, Beast Wars cartoon and all of those things. But it still feels, to me, more grounded than some of those other Michael Bay movies that we were getting that was just constant action. One thing I will always say about Transformers movies, for the most part, is the CGI is usually always fire, right? Like, they look good. They always look good. But that's usually not the problems with these films. But what also happened in some of the Transformers movies is they were hard to follow visually, like, with your eyes. Like, you were like, what is happening here? What is going on? And what this movie gets a point for, for me, is having very coherent fighting (laughs) within Transformers. Like, I knew who was getting hit. (laughs) I knew who was getting sliced. You know what I'm saying? I knew who was fighting. I have to give points to the movie for that because I understood what was happening. And again, a lot of those other movies, you're like, okay, the action, this looks cool, but I have no idea what's going on. But Rise of the Beast kind of has that. I know what's going on. So the movie gets points for that. So we come in here, man, Rise of the Beast. We're introducing Predacons and the Maximals, and I was pretty excited, man. I wanted to see uh, uh, 
Optimus Primal and Cheetor. Like, I was pretty excited for a lot of that. And we do get them. But I feel like part of me feels like they could have just made a a, a, a Predacon and, <laughs> a Predacon and Maximum movie. You know what I mean? Like a Beast I Wars movie. Yeah. Make a Beast Wars movie. And so I understand we love Optimus Prime. I understand we love Bumblebee. I understand all of those things. But I feel like they had another chance here to to usher in just those because the Beast Wars cartoon doesn't include Optimus Prime in in Bumblebee in RC. You know what I mean? It's just the Predacons and the Maximals, and that that's what makes it so fun. Um, in the cartoon, uh, Cheetor is like the funny guy. You know what I mean? Cheetor is like talking a lot and this and that, and they kind of give it to to, uh, to to Mirage in this movie, which is fine. Actually. Really like Mirage in this movie. Mirage is one of the main characters. He's like Anthony Ramos's guardian in this movie. I actually kind of, I actually liked him a lot in this movie. But we don't get that out of Cheetor because they kind of gave it all to Mirage. That's kind of what it felt like to me <laughs> in watching the movie. It's like Cheetor didn't get anything. You know what I mean? He was just kind of there in the movie. And so what I'm trying to say is, it feels like they gave. There was too many Transformers in the movie, long story short. <laughs> there was too much going on. We had to take care of Optimus. We had to take care of Bumblebee while introducing Optimus Primal, while introducing, uh, um, what, what was Michelle Yeoh's bird? <laughs> Air, oh, Air, uh, Air, Air Razor. Air Razor or, like or whatever. Who Again, that was actually kind of a cool character, and what they did with that character was not bad. It's just there was too much to think about on the Transformers side of things. I do like um, Anthony Ramos's character story. I thought it was pretty heartfelt, but a lot there's just a lot. <laughs> there's a lot, um, and, and in saying that though, a lot of it felt like move, the, the Transformers movies we had seen before. There's a human that has some kind of peril that needs to find themselves somehow, and there's a big war between Transformers happening. That's the movie, you know what I mean? And I think again, I think they had an opportunity to try to switch stuff up here, which I thought they were doing at first. You know, there was a moment. I was like, okay, we're here. I like what we're doing. And then by the end of it, you're like, dang, man. It was like a little disappointing because you feel like they sunk back into the seat <laughs> a little bit because it felt like they were going different ways. There were some darker moments in this one that I wasn't expecting, some things happening that I wasn't expecting. And then it's just like, damn, it's just Transformers all over. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh. It's, it's just, it was very frustrating to watch, I think, in that sense. What I will say, I think it was a fine outing, though. I, I enjoy watching it. There is a ton of cheesy moments in this that I did not like. <laughs> There's a, I rolled my eyes a couple times um, in the theater. Like, y'all did not just do this. Uh, Jordan knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like, why did y'all decide to put this in the movie? I, I But it made me laugh, don't get me wrong, but not for good reasons. It was just like, this is ridiculous. No, don't do this um and yeah and so the battle sequences they could use a little bit more style but they're solid the movie again it's it's it just falls into a lot of the the same shit we've seen before unfortunately um and i was hoping for more i really was but not a high bar it's better than age of extinction <laughs> it's better than the last night and i will give it that i really will um and it for me it does feel like something, it, it could be the start of something. I will also give it that. It does feel like it could be the start of something. Because Bumblebee was, was good to me, this is fine to me. This isn't a train wreck to me. I feel like there's still something on the table and they still could do something with this. But, man, it is, this Transformers franchise, man, It's 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 been weird for a long time. And I thought, yeah, uh, we'll have to see what happens from here on out. But 
uh, I, I was looking for more <laughs> and I didn't necessarily get more. But I, I, I left saying, OK, that was that was OK. So Transformers, another franchise, I will be upfront and honest that I am just not a huge fan of in terms of the live action movies. I did grow up a big Transformers fan, watched the original animated movie from the 80s a lot, watched the the Beast Wars series. There, there's a lot to really, really hold on to in terms of this franchise that sort of captivated my imagination when I was a kid. And so I had a lot of affection for it. When that first Transformers movie came out in 2007, at that age, I loved it because my taste hadn't fully formed yet in cinema, uh, but I loved it for what it was. And I do think that going back and watching it, it's a fine film. And I agree about your points that visually and creatively, it did do a lot for the industry in terms of computer generated effects. It had it, it had a lot of importance that way. Um, it, it doesn't hold up as well for me now just because you see where the franchise ultimately sort of devolved into over the, the, the next few movies. And it's, it's unfortunate because I think Michael Bay is a good director. Like Michael mm -hmm. Bay is actually an auteur and has a voice and a vision, but yeah. he got so bogged down by that franchise for like 10 years and that's all he did, that's all he made. Yeah. He just made a lot of bad movies and, and I just don't like those movies really at all. There was even a point in the second movie where there's like a Transformer who has testicles, like his balls are dangling on screen. It's just like... What the hell? And, and a lot of that is due to the fact that they were undergoing a writer strike at that moment. So creatively, it just did not hit the mark. But then the third and the fourth one and the fifth one, like these movies are just not that great. Bumblebee comes out a few years ago and was invigorating and it scaled the story down. It focused just on Bumblebee and, and this relationship with Haley Steinfeld's character. It was a period piece. It definitely had a lot of heart and a lot of affection. And I think that that's actually the best movie that they made in terms of the live action outings like there's actually a lot to connect to with the bumblebee story and making it a little a little bit more intimate and more focused so coming into rise of the beasts that fact that they were sort of again doing another period piece but then also introducing those characters from beast wars got me actually a little bit excited like we might be hitting a stride for the transformers live action franchise unfortunately after watching rise of the beasts that's just not the, the case, at least for me. This was a pretty disappointing experience, and it felt like more of the same out of what we've gotten out of Transformers for the better part of 15 years. I think that this is a notable step down from Bumblebee. All the heart, all of the energy, all of that John Hughes sort of aesthetic and nature that they were going after with that movie is just completely absent here. And of course, they're going after different aesthetics here. This is supposed to be set in the mid-90s, and we're focusing on an Afro-Latino character and also Dominique Fishback, a black woman. So there's a lot of hip-hop energy that's infused into this movie which for the first 15 or 20 minutes kind of feels like that but outside of them just slapping on some hip-hop tracks from a tribe called quest or biggie or Nas, like this doesn't feel like the 90s at all it's just like okay we just made a soundtrack that has like some of the greatest hits from 1994 but nothing else actually makes it feel like it's in the 90s and so i felt like they kind of failed in that respect Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback, I know we're not necessarily here for the humans, but they are like the two primary characters that we follow. Anthony Ramos, I think, does a really, really good job here. I like him a lot as an actor. Obviously, he's done some really incredible work with Hamilton and even more recently within the Heights. And I think with the story that he's given, he absolutely excels. There's a lot of stuff that you can connect to with him and his family in the story. I think Dominique Fishback is severely underutilized i don't know why she's really in this movie she's in this movie to basically move the plot along mm. but we don't know anything about her we literally know basically an iota of information about her character like they don't dive into her at all which yeah. i know for a lot of people you want to see the transformers and spend more time with them i totally get that but if you're going to have humans that are also like driving the story then we have to know something like we have to have some pieces to connect to to at least make us emotionally invested in who they are and why they're a part of this journey 
And I just kind of feel bad for Anthony Ramos and Dominic Fishback because they pretty much have to act this entire movie against nothing. Like, at least with Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox, like when they were doing this franchise, like you had a supporting cast. You had Josh Jumel, you had Tyrese Gibson, mm-hmm. you had John Voight and Anthony Anderson. Like they had a lot of other people to act off of. Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback for, I don't know, 85% of this movie are by themselves by acting against <laughs> CGI and just nothing else out there for, for them to go off of. So I do got to give them points for being able to pull that off, but I feel mm-hmm. really, really bad for them that that was kind of the experience that they had to go through. And then the Predacons and the Maximals, them being in this movie, you said a lot of it. It was just a letdown. There just wasn't enough time given to them. There's really not too much of a reason for them to be here besides it being a gimmick, besides it being the one thing that they can make to hopefully try to propel this movie to feeling somewhat different than those other five Mm -hmm. live-action Transformers movies. But they just don't do enough to, to make them feel all that different. And then you get to the end of the film, which most of it takes place in Peru, And the final battle is just on a gray, open battlefield that looks like nothing. It it, it very much resembles like the the gray, dusty slodge of of the final battle of Avengers Endgame, (laughs) but it doesn't have any of like the really good moments. It's just like a bunch of visual noise. And I think that I've just finally accepted that the visual cinematic language of the Transformers movies just does not work for me. Even though it is more legible here than the Michael Bay movies, it just doesn't work because I just don't emotionally connect to it. Just a bunch of cars or beasts transforming into these, into these, you know, sort of Autobots or Predacons or whatever they might be. It's just not working. And and, and there's not enough newness here to, to make it feel fresh and to make it feel all that different than, than what we've seen for such a long time now. And the story is just like the same as it's been before. There's a MacGuffin that they're chasing after. And if they don't get it, the world is at peril and all this just random shit. And they can't go home. And I was even excited about Unicron being here because that Mm -hmm. that felt like they were taking a lot of the the, the stuff that happened in that original animated movie. But it's just like it doesn't work. It just does not work for me. So I was I was pretty let down by this, which is. Not saying that much because my expectations weren't that high, but again, based off of what we got with Bumblebee a few years ago, I was like, oh, they might be they might be on to something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where we are with the Transformers franchise. We talked about this in, in our media reactions. There is a, uh, a stinger at the end somewhat that, that teases the future of what this franchise might look like, and it seems like they're going to try to go after a crossover event, I suppose, with, uh, with another notable franchise. Does that... Does that potential project get you excited, uh, if we're being honest here, just based off of where we are with the Transformers franchise and just kind of based off of the status of that other franchise and where it's been? I don't I don't think it's necessarily been the most successful in and of itself either. Um, And we're kind of dancing around talking about it. But be that as it may, I mean, are you looking forward to the the, the prospects of what that might result into in terms of a a potential crossover movie? And I think in a different world, this would have like broke the internet you know what i mean this would have especially all of us you know 90s kids or just millennials in general we would have went nuts like you know what i'm saying but given what we've gotten <laughs> over the past man 10 years when, when first reformers come out over 10 years ago mm-hmm. it is just i it's like i have to be like a little excited just because the idea makes so much sense and we knew they were doing this so i had to have like a the smallest ounce of like okay i do want to see that but like the rest of the 95 percent is like no like what are y'all doing neither one of these things has been working 
No. Uh, and, and like you said, as a crossover event, you try to put two things together that does not work out. I mean, maybe it's like negative and negative makes a positive somehow. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what, but it, it's just not looking up because neither, neither one is doing what they're supposed to do, especially given how big of properties they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, yeah, I, it's hard for me to say that I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Again, I have to be like, okay, it's an idea there. But given everything else, man, it's just like it like it almost sucks that they told me that, you know, what I mean? it's almost like it makes me more sad <laughs> that they're going in this direction it's because of everything we've got. It's like, oh, man, more disappointment is on the way, but I'll be there to, to watch it, <laughs> to watch it anyway. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. Yeah. The bottom line is, is if these franchises made better films, then this would be something to be excited about. But they exactly. have not. They've not succeeded at that front. And. If this was maybe an animated project that was coming out in the late 90s, it could be incredible. It could be amazing. But we're just not in that reality. I will mention that outside of that that and what that might ultimately result into, there is an animated Transformers movie coming out, um, I think, either next year or in two years that they yep. just announced. It has a, a really impressive voice cast. I'm actually excited and enthusiastic about that just because uh, animation... It, it, it's pretty clear that I think that this all just works in animation better, um, at least for me, in terms of Transformers and, and, and how they communicate these films, the live action stuff I'm just kind of out on. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that animated movie because this is going to be the first like major one that they've done in a really, really long time in terms of like a feature length movie. Maybe since the 80s, the, since that one came out. I know they've done a lot of series, but a feature length mm -hmm. movie, that could definitely be something that's really, really cool and inventive and, and can just, you know, sort of reinvigorate where the transformers are in our current sort of pop culture landscape but we'll have to see when that film ultimately comes out but folks those are all of our thoughts on transformers rise of the beasts if you've checked out this movie hit us up and let us know what you think with that being said we're going to transition to talk about our next movie another remake that actually just premiered recently on hulu white men can't jump gang it's win by two not here it's not Hey, they're letting yoga instructors in the gym now. Ball. I just noticed you're not getting enough legs on a new shot. Are you dehydrated? 100 bucks, you can't make more shots. Let's just do 300. It's not my dad's money. We ain't never gonna get a reparation that way, bro. So I prefer Venmo or Zelle, but you seem like a Cash App guy, so. Ladies and gentlemen, C5. Hey, you think you can slick, huh? Showing up to court dressed like a dumbass, acting like you can't hoop. You assumed I couldn't hoop because I'm white, which is incredibly outdated. No, I assumed you couldn't hoop because you were dressed like a white girl at Whole Foods. Why do love go? It's really hard to plan for the future when we're always worried about money because you're out here living in a fantasy. My 30-day detox program. You want a free sample? No, I ain't drinking no boo-boo juice. Wait, it's almost the first. I'm gonna go tomorrow, I forgot. Why don't you just go now? We'll be fine. Hey, don't worry, mommy. Don't worry, mommy. Every hooper I know is entering that big-ass tournament with a winner get 500000 I just need somebody who can play so I can make some money. You're joking, right? 500000 for one day of hoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're we can hustle a few games together to get the money for the entry fee. I'll find some marks. Those short shorts look incredible on you. Throw them off their game. You have an OnlyFans? And we'll clean up. You gonna wear that trash bag? You gonna wear that fake-ass Richard Simmons outfit? Oh! I bet y'all got more in common than me, Release for me. Release for me. 
That's the bad. Doubt that. Don't spend any of the money until we can cover the fee. I should be saying that to you. Well, I'm good with money. So am I. So am I. Me too. Me too. Where? Where, bro? If she's empty, then the drugs go. If she's can I see you? Double cup toast. I got a duffel full of hundreds. Then the love go. Buckets. What? Just wanted to see if you had superhuman hearing because of your. Because my what? They're gonna kill him in the parking lot. I'm out here. He got a flamethrower. Flamethrower? What is this, Mad Max? I don't know how much you're talking trash played into that, but good work. Thank you. You could talk way more trash out there. You have so much material I can't even touch. Like what? Never mind. Oh. Tell us. Where the love go? Now, this film is directed by Cal Maddock, and it's written by Kenya Barris and Doug Hall, and it's starring Cinqua Walls, Jack Harlow, Tiana Taylor, Laura Harrier, Vince Staples, Miles Bullock, and Lance Reddick. So, for the uninitiated, White Man Can't Jump is an early 90s movie starring Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. A beloved classic for me, a film that I grew up on that I love to rewatch occasionally, had a lot of energy and a lot of style. It really kind of kickstarted the careers of both Woody and Wesley. They had both done stuff before that and they had their names out there, but they came together and they obviously had chemistry. The two even went on to go and partner again in another mo movie uh, called Money Train in the, in the mid to late 90s. Um, not necessarily a great movie, but a movie I love to rewatch. It's just, you know, sort of affectionate for me in that way. And so we found mm -hmm. out a couple of years ago that they were going to be doing a reimagining slash remake of White Man Can't Jump, which I think uh, certainly made us question as to why. But it was also going to be directed by Cal Maddock, who was also shepherding another remake that just recently came out that we reviewed at the top of this year in House Party. So Cal Maddock has kind of become the guy to take these late 80s, early 90s projects and sort of bring them to life for a new generation. And this movie just had a release on Hulu and was distributed by 20th Century Studios, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, we both got a chance to check out this movie just as it premiered the past couple of weeks on, on Hulu. So with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What, what are your thoughts on White Man Can't Jump? This is a prime example why we just need to stop remaking shit. I don't know why we're here. Like, first house party, now that I just, uh, What are we doing? Um, long story short, this movie does not have something very important in it. Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, <laughs> who are like, they are actors. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's something different about their energy in the original White Man Can't Jump that just feel better <laughs> than this. Um, and this isn't, I, I don't I actually don't hate this. Don't get me wrong. I do not hate this movie, um, but it just doesn't add much of anything you know what I mean? it just doesn't add much of anything they try to change and switch some stuff up um and a, a lot of it is just how can we i don't know how can it's just a bunch of throw up on the screen for the most part you know for a lot of the movie um i i i found myself laughing a couple times don't get me wrong like there's a couple times moments i was like okay that was funny okay that was funny and they try to make it like very 2023 very new age uh like jack harlow loki is like a hipster right like he does very like white boy but like he's down with the cause kind of type things um in this movie and i understand that point of view but i feel like they actually touched on a story with him and with um uh Sinqua walls right I feel like they did touch on the story and there was something there, but they never really get into it or they never really say like, 
here is the problem and this is the solution between these characters it's just like let's do a thing okay we're gonna go play basketball and then that's the movie you know what i mean and and it it sucks though because again they do kind of give you a glimpse of like oh this could be a different story because the difference is i don't know if this is spoiling that but whatever this movie's not good the difference is like woody harrelson could play basketball in the original in this one technically jack carlo's character is not supposed to be playing basketball because his knees are messed up and i'm like i like that difference how do we talk about it and they kind of don't they just kind of like gloss over it and so i think that's frustrating for me when you present a good idea and then you just like let it go it's the weirdest thing to me because you had it in the palm of your hands <laughs> and then you just didn't do it it's, it's really frustrating but again i don't hate this uh it it it, it does enough for me to say I, I wasn't mad that i watched that it's just like a background the tv is on kind of movie kind of watch thing um and uh and yeah these remakes just gotta stop uh, it's it's this is this is exhibit a b c d of like we we have to stop here um it and maybe you know don't get me wrong we know there's good remakes but the ones that have come out recently are not it especially when you're touching like the classic of classics like like you said white man can't jump was just a household staple especially in a lot of black households it's a movie you watched <laughs> you know what i'm saying and and you come in here i'm expecting something else and they don't really give me something else with this film so yeah it's unfortunate but yeah i hope i hope they if they keep making remakes i hope somebody figures it out you know what i'm saying i hope somebody figures it out i don't have a much i I don't have much to add about white man can't jump i will just say this um this movie is unimaginative it does not add anything new I can't even call it cash grab because it's on streaming. Maybe they designed it to go to the movies <laughs> so that people could just like buy a ticket, but it ended up on Hulu. So what cash is going to be made from this? Probably nothing. And it's corny. It's just, it just feels cheap to, to, to just go back to the well on this type of film where that one that came out in the early nineties is still good. It still holds up. Of course, like there's a few cultural things that are different that have changed over time that this one tries to address and tackle, but it just does not do so in a successful way. And, and, and this is lacking that incredible chemistry that Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson had. And, and also let's not forget Rosie Perez, who was also amazing in white man can't jump in the early nineties. Like she was incredible, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think um, it's just missing all of those elements that just make one, make that one such an electric movie. And, I really enjoy basketball movies and like, you know, even Woody Harrelson is like, he's a true basketball fan and, and Wesley Snipes like can play basketball. Like these guys are like really in it and you come into this one and you just don't feel any of that energy. You don't feel mm-hmm. any of that type of style and substance and, you know, Cal Matic, I mean, he's a young director who's made a lot of music videos, but for him to come with this back to back house party, white men can't jump oh boy. Uh, sort of duo of films in this year alone and they both are just bad. I'm just like, yo, can we can we not do this? And, and my guy, like, I want to see you succeed just as like a black director, but like, can you tackle some stuff that's going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more worthwhile to explore. Maybe something mm-hmm. original might be the way to go. So that's all I'll really say. I just didn't like this movie. I think it's a bad movie. I would not recommend it. I do want to ask you like kind of a fun question. Um, we, we are seeing a lot of remakes and in particular, the sort of black urban classics from the eighties and nineties are starting to like catch a stride in terms of being remade unfortunately so what is one movie that you like forbid hollywood from remaking we have gotten house party and white men can't jump this year there's probably some other ones that i'm forgetting but like what's a black movie from your childhood that 
if they were to announce tomorrow we're remaking this, you would just be completely like, nah, fuck this. Like we're out. We cannot we cannot allow this to move forward. It's 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 not worthwhile to to try to go down that territory. Paid in full. Not even close. I'm throwing hands <laughs> if y'all decide to make paid in full bro it's one of my favorite movies and it's just i refuse <laughs> i refuse bro like you're not you're not gonna good you're not gonna get another wood harris you're not gonna get another camera like you're not it's just not gonna happen so definitely paid in full that's by that's probably it's probably close to my number one answer i'm sure there's other movies in there that'll piss me off but that one will like that one would probably send me over if they just try to make a paid in full I like that answer. Pay the Fool is also like so of its time too. Like it's so emblematic of its time and like mm-hmm. the cross section of like Cameron and Wood Harris and Mackay Pfeiffer like being in that movie. Like I recently rewatched it in fact and it's like, oh yeah, man, there, there's nothing like this particular time in Hollywood and hip hop mm-hmm. coming together to make that movie. Pay the Fool is a really good answer. For me, if I had to pick one, there's a lot of examples that they haven't gone to yet, but I think if they decided to say, we're going to do juice again i'd be really oh my god pissed at that because there's an easy way in in which i could see somebody saying like oh you know what that's a dj movie we could totally like make that for Mm -hmm. for today's times like let's let's really focus on dj culture today and i'm like no 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 no. dj culture today is just totally different than how it was in the early 90s especially with hip-hop becoming what it was on the east coast and you know, Juice has also has some cultural resonance and staying power because of just like the memeability of it. Like we've seen true. the Bishop memes and, and, and what Tupac is, you know, sort of represented. And I can see somebody that, saying like, we want to do that and it wouldn't work. There is no Pac either. Like who who would be Bishop? I don't, nah. You know what I'm saying? You just can't do it again. <laughs> yeah, nah, we, we, we can't go down that territory. And, and it's crazy because like that's like that's probably Tupac's best performance. And he had made maybe like one or two movies before that. So, well, but I, I feel like somebody would try to do that. They would try to take all those different elements and say like, yeah, let's redo juice. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. Don't do it. So, um, unfortunately this movie didn't turn out how we wanted it and expected it to. And, uh, hopefully they just, you know, really try to reel this back and not maybe make too more, many more of these, these remakes of these black classics that we love so much. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on white man can jump. If you've checked out this movie on Hulu, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and review our last movie for this episode of Two Black Nerds, a critically acclaimed film that debuted earlier this year, I believe, at Sundance and just recently had a theatrical release, a new film from A24, Past Lives. There's a word in Korean, inyon. It means providence or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. good story this is childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other in the story i would be the evil white american husband standing in the way of destiny shut up he was just this kid in my head for such a long time i think i just missed him did he miss you Wow, 
그냥 너랑 얘기하는 거? Like I flew 13 hours to be here. I'm not gonna tell you that you can't see him or something. 만약에 네가 한국을 떠나지 않았다면 내가 널 찾았을까? 우리가 사귀었을까? 헤어졌을까? 부부가 됐을까? 아이들을 가졌을까? 너는 나를 왜 찾았어? 한번더 보고 싶었어. If two strangers walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, that means there have been 8,000 layers of inyan between them. Want you to stay. Now, this film is, in, is written and directed by Celine Song, and it's starring Greta Lee, T.O.U., and John Magaru. So, Paz Lives, again, as I mentioned before the trailer, debuted earlier this year. It had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. It was ultimately acquired by A24. Now, coming into the summer, which is just loaded with blockbuster releases, big IP, there mm -hmm. are a few sort of smaller movies that will be releasing a few independent films and a24 also has a couple of offerings that'll be rolling out this summer as well but i know you and i had heard about past lives and we heard about a lot of the positive reaction that it was getting just all of the critical acclaim that was coming out of sundance and we saw that they slotted it for the summer mm -hmm. in a really really crowded season where we're getting films like spider-verse and the flash Ooh. and indiana jones is on the way and elemental there's wow. just a lot happening and here comes this really small quiet independent movie from celine song who's making her directorial debut and it's becoming talked about as one of the potentially best films of the year. Now, this is a film we got a chance to go check out this past weekend. And with all of that sort of context out the way, I'm, I will pass it over to you to tell us, you know, what you thought about Past Lives. And is it one of the best films of 2023 that we've gotten this far? No notes. <laughs> I have no notes with this movie. Like, I am a sucker already for rom-coms. A lot of people don't know that. I actually really love rom-coms. Um, they've been bad for a long time, which is why they stopped making them. Uh, but Past Lives is, it's, it's not even a rom-com. It is definitely a, a romance drama, but you are going to laugh a couple times, which is why I kind of called it a rom-com. It's, it's not focused on comedy at all. This movie is the embodiment of the song Next Lifetime by Erica Badu. Go listen to Next Lifetime, and it's like, yep, this is the, that's the movie. <laughs> you have just watched Past Lives, y'all. This movie is about two childhood friends, and they were split apart because the girl, her name is Nora, her family immigrated from South Korea. She ends up in New York, and after some time, they, they kind of try to reconnect, and things go down and things happen and you can imagine what that looks like and it is a crazy i think whirlwind of a movie it's filled with emotion it's filled with patient moments it's also filled with i think it's just uh it's like a song i i, I know i said it was like next lifetime but it really is like that it's like the movie is is in song lyrics to me it's about what how what, do we believe that we're here because of what happened in past lives do, do we be, do we believe that we had a past life together and what did that past life look like and what does that mean for this life um it's it's 
it's it's a slow burn, but I was never bored. I was always in it. The acting is phenomenal. But the the idea of it all, the theme of it all is so was so deep to me and so cool for me, I think, to witness in real time. And by the end of it, the theater was in shambles. People was in that thing crying. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, I didn't cry, uh, but it was crazy when the lights came on. I mean, people just in their seats sniffling and crying and wiping their eyes. And I was like, yeah. This movie is like that, and I I, I really enjoyed it, man. Um, and it's not one of those I call it patient, but it's not. It doesn't go over its runtime, you know. It's it's just at one forty six, and it feels right. And it's just it's 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 a rare movie to me because we have been getting more patient movies like this, specifically from Korean cinema. I've, I'm I'm learning this is just like, and not necessarily an aesthetic for them, but it does feel like definitely a, a genre almost for them where they're like we're gonna let you just feel everything <laughs> throughout all of all of these scenes and I, i'm a sucker for it i really am because they feel it feels good and i love a moment where where something happens and everyone can say can laugh together because they they understand what the character's going through or they understand where somebody stands and man this movie is heartbreaking because it it it's filled of things that you want to happen that might happen that might not happen. And it does. And it doesn't, it's just, it's, 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 I love, I love the emotional pull of this film, man. And again, no notes. Uh, you said it, you asked me at the top, if I think it's one of the best movies of the year. Yes, <laughs> I do, man. I really do. Uh, uh, I, I even give you a quick list <laughs> right now. It sits under across the spider verse. This is probably my second favorite mo- movie of, of, of the, um, year so far. Uh, and I know that's saying a lot. Uh, I could be just off the high of watching the movie. And we do, of course, have a lot to see. We're only halfway through the year. But I really enjoyed this film from what it was. And it felt different from a lot of the other, I think, romance movies I had seen before. I thought it would be different or I thought it would be similar. And going into it, I thought I would get something more cliche. But when they start breaking down everything happening in the movie and the ideas and the themes, it turned out to be a pretty good outing for me, man. So I enjoyed this thoroughly. Man, I was emotionally knocked out by this movie. It certainly took me by surprise. Heard so many great things about it, but didn't ultimately know what the story was. I tried to stay away from trailers and reviews. I didn't look up anything. I just wanted to let it wash over me. And by the end of it, this became a truly profound cinematic experience because of the themes and the ideas that it's tackling. And when you sort of go beyond, you know, what what's actually on the on the surface in terms of what what the what the description of the movie is, there, there's this concept that's talked a lot about in the film that sort of you know weaves together just the thematic resonance of it it's about inyan which is like this buddhist sort of ideology about what can occur in people's past lives and how that can influence the events of your current life and maybe even future lives it's almost it's almost you know sort of similar to reincarnation i guess is probably mm-hmm. the closest thing to to, to to associate it with but it goes a little bit further than that just about the the destiny, quote unquote, that people might experience in the most insignificant ways and how that can become super significant, maybe in a future life. And when you just understand what's happening here between these two characters and just the will they, won't they of their relationship, it becomes such a relatable thing and also such emotionally heartbreaking stuff at the same time because of that unrealized potential, but also just the fact that relationships sometimes take new shape as time progresses Mm. you know something that might have happened to you at a younger age might not be all that meaningful in the moment but as you grow older and potentially reconnect with that person or another person 
that stuff starts to take on new meaning. And this is like a decades spanning love story. It takes mm -hmm. place over the course of 24 years and it's separated really neatly into three parts. Like the first is in the childhood, you know, sort of era of these two characters. The next is 12 years later as they're young adults trying to figure out their place in the world. And then 12 years after that, we have seen, you know, them sort of become fully formed adults. And, and, and we just see that progression. And a lot of that structure reminded me of Richard Linklater films like the Before Trilogy or Boyhood. Mm -hmm. And that made me really, you know, sort of associate and just understand and think about the concept of how the passage of time just can influence not only the love that you experience, but also just how you change as a person wow. and how who you are when you're younger is just not the same as who you will be when you ultimately become an adult and how that can just start to play with the expectations that people will have for you. Mm -hmm. And you just get some really incredible performances from the leads here. I think Greta Lee is just phenomenal Ooh. she just gives a just truly emotionally beautiful performance tiao yu is emoting so many different things with his facial acting just the body language that he's able to communicate because a lot of the movie is in korean and he's mostly speaking korean and, and when he's trying to speak english it's very broken english but his facial acting is just on a different level and john mcgarrow probably has the most difficult role in this movie I think yes. that what he has to do here is so understated, but it's so incredibly difficult, and I won't give it away, but by the end of it, there's some really emotionally heavy stuff that he has to carry, and that he has to communicate, and he has to be simultaneously understanding, but also like protective and defensive at the mm -hmm. same time. The guy is walking just an expert balancing act, and the end of this film, the last act, is really where it all came together for, for me, and it became sort of on it, it it elevated it to a different experience just like what ultimately uh came to fruition in that in, in that final act mm -hmm. and there's even a tracking shot that doesn't break at the end of this movie it's like oh the last God. sequence it's like six or seven minutes long it is uh i i, I mean i don't even know what to say about it but it, it is it is one of the most it is one of the most emotionally fraught things that i've experienced in quite a while just watching it and there's not even really any dialogue that said it just happens. You know, you just see what's happening here and it's beautiful. It's just so beautifully realized and it culminates. And I think what what this movie is ultimately about and, and, and the line that, that that TLU delivers really is his last line in this movie is just like, oh, man, you just brought it home. You just absolutely fucking <laughs> stuck the landing on everything that you're trying to do here, because this really gets existential and big and it starts to play mm -hmm. with with ideas and it gets you thinking about all your relationships and just like how you might meet a person at a certain particular moment and, and what that ultimately might look like. And just like, how did this happen? How did we cross paths at this time? And and why is that so important? And, and you know, did I know this person maybe in a previous iteration of myself, mm -hmm. if you believe in that sort of thing? I mean, it's just tackling so much, y'all. The performances, the writing, the cinematography of it, just everything about it is just so beautiful I'm, I'm i'm really kind of amazed and impressed that celine song out of the gate directing something of, Ooh, of this nature and of the stature like a debut. what what a career she's gonna have you know over the next like 10 years or so i just cannot wait to see everything that she'll have in front of her because this is just absolutely incredible it is one of the best movies of the year i think i'm very much of, of the same mindset as you that this is probably my second favorite film of the year right after across the spider-verse so that should tell you all you need to know about past lives so folks those are all of our thoughts about the new a24 feature film past lives if you've checked out this movie or if you plan to check out this movie please hit us up and let us know what you think and with that out of the way ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we're actually going to do another episode later this week because we're finally 
gonna talk about succession we have to get to that mm -hmm. series finale and have our final conversation about the hbo original series and we're also going to catch up and talk about some other things that we've been doing and we got a lot of news that we want to break down especially from the worlds of marvel and dc so we'll be back with an episode later this week so until then we will see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 please check out our two black jedi sith collection at twoblacknerds.com and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all i'm light as Peace. a feather i'm light as a feather yeah baby i float it's hard to look at my resume and not find a reason to toast she throwing a thing in a circle making it viral i might just a loaf say listen la mama you like shibari watch while i show you the rope i used to let niggas get to me i used to be my own enemy now i didn't have several epiphanies over some breakfast at Tiffany's Had to forgive all my frenemies They are not who they pretend to be I had to protect all my energy I'm feeling much lighter now I...